Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel reading this morning is from the 15th chapter of St. John. Jesus said this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, they are thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, raise your hand if you thought or expected when you came to worship today that you were going to learn about eunuchs. Raise your hand, anybody? Yeah, a couple of you? Well, good for you. How about that? One step better than that, I'm going to show you today what Bear Bryant, Jimmy Durante, and an Ethiopian eunuch have in common. But before we go there, it's been a big football week in these parts. I want to give a shout out to our Salisbury Hornets. I know that all of you aren't Salisbury Hornets, I get that. But uh, one of our members, Wade Robbins, uh, is the one who kicked the two game-winning field goals these last two weeks that has sent them to the state championship this Thursday night at Carter-Finley Stadium. So congratulations to them, and and we hope for um, good results. Uh, selfishly, we, of course, hope for good results for them. But it's also been maybe the most important thing going on in the country today, right? The NFL draft. Isn't that right, Kathy? You've been watching. I know you watch, like, nonstop, ESPN, the NFL draft. I think they finished the 47 rounds of the NFL draft yesterday or the day before. Who knows? But it's amazing uh, what has to go into this kind of thing for the preparation, whether you know the NFL or have any idea what I'm talking about or not. Just imagine how much these, this multi-billion dollar industry has to, has to prepare itself in order to draft the players that it needs or wants for the sake of winning in the next season, right? And so they go through all kinds of tests. ESPN has covered every detail the last two months, I think. Uh, the players, the coaches, the franchises, um, they, they are looking for strength, agility, for character, for personality, of course, but ultimately they're looking for players who will help them win the next Super Bowl. It reminds me of a classic quote from Bear Bryant, thus the first, Bear Bryant, the legendary former coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, uh, Krista's favorite team. Wait. Chris's favorite? No? Oh, I'm sorry. My bad. Someone asked him, asked Chris about the Bear Bryant. Someone asked him how he did it, how he was so successful at winning games. Um, Bear Bryant said this, I'm just a plow hand from Arkansas, but I have learned how to hold a team together, how to lift some men up, how to calm down others until finally they've got one heartbeat together, a team. That's all it takes to get 
people to win football games for you. One heartbeat together, team. It strikes me that that's precisely what Jesus wants of His disciples when He visits them after the resurrection. Just a quick recap over the last few weeks. What we've been doing in the weeks after Easter is sharing some of what we call the post-resurrection stories of Jesus. All that means are the times that Jesus appeared to the disciples after He had been raised from the dead. Three weeks ago, specifically, you might remember, Pastor Laura um, spoke about the time when Jesus, um, uh, on that first Easter night, so just a few hours after the resurrection, uh, when Jesus showed up um, to the disciples who were cowering in a room, an upper room uh, in, in Jerusalem. They're scared, they're hiding, they're confused. Some were filled with, with doubt, others were ready to just pack up their bags and, and go home, right? until Jesus shows up. And according to the Bible, the first thing that He did was to breathe the Holy Spirit upon them. It's really a beautiful moment, and that's literally what it says. Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, who is that part of the Holy Trinity, will, who will draw them together as one, a team, and inspire them. That's the purpose of the Spirit. Inspire them to work together for the sake of God's kingdom. Jesus prayed, Lord, make them one as we are one, the Holy Trinity are one. That's God's great desire. That was Jesus' great desire. Now that's going to be the purpose of the Holy Spirit, to draw us together as, as one. Later on, St. Paul says that it's the Holy Spirit who gives to each of us special gifts for the sake of this kind of ministry in our daily lives. Some are teachers, some are, uh, are caregivers, others as evangelists or prophets or, or leaders. Um, why? So that working together as one, working together as a team, Paul says, that we can better reveal the love of God to this weary world so that we can be better messengers, the messengers that God needs us to be of, of God's grace and mercy and justice and, and forgiveness and joy. That's what we call kingdom work. And, and now that Jesus is no longer with us as a human here on earth, that's the work, that's the purpose of the church. That's our work. And so you can understand why that kind of work is so critically important, right? Especially these days. I mean, especially now, maybe as much now as ever before. I mean, if nothing else, you've read the statistics, right? Maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but, but there, there was a certain statistic that made a big splash in national media the last few weeks when we learned that the that for the first time since these, since these uh, kinds of things have been recorded, less than 50% of Americans are now members of a Christian denomination. Now, that's down from 70% just 20 years ago. That's a significant shift, right? And, and the case is even more pronounced among college students. This year, the same poll revealed that this year's freshman class was the least religious class ever. Now, before we get too much further, I please I want you to know, because, and I know that you do, we're not talking about statistics. We're talking about your family members. We're talking about your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues. We're talking about real people who, for whatever reason, have dropped out of church because, I don't know, maybe the church no longer feels relevant in their lives, Right? And at one level, especially as a pastor, uh, but, I, but I'm sure this is true for all, all of us, it's disconcerting, it's frustrating. But at another level, it's somewhat exciting because it does 
provide for us an incredible opportunity, an opportunity for the church if, in fact, we will step back, we'll rethink what it looks like and what it means to be the church and figure out how we can earn the trust of others so that we can more faithfully proclaim the gospel. That's on us. It begins as we invite the Holy Spirit to draw us together as one, especially in this day of of polarization and tribalism, to draw us together as one. And as we follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit to allow Him to take us to places and give us opportunities that we may never before have imagined, which brings us to our first reading today from Acts chapter 8, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Let's unpack the story a little bit together. You can open up in your Bibles or your readings in your, in your uh, bulletin today. We're at verse 26 of Acts chapter 8, and it begins like this. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go toward the south, toward the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. There are two main characters in this story. One is Philip, the other is um, this man from Ethiopia. Who is Philip? Well, let's say who he is not. He's not one of the twelve apostles. Uh, it's easy to get confused because there is an apostle named Philip. This is not that apostle. This is Philip from Acts chapter 6. It's also, he is also known as Philip the deacon or Philip the evangelist. Uh, he first appears in Acts chapter 6 when he is asked to uh, serve the widows in the community. The widows and the orphans had been, uh, well, they just didn't have a crew of folks who were helping and, spe- and specifically engaged in ministry to them. And so the apostles asked a group of seven uh, folks to, to minister to them. They were what we call the first deacons of the church. Philip was one of them. And then later, two chapters later, in Acts chapter 8, Philip um, is then called to preach and teach in Samaria, which he does. And then now we get to this particular passage. The same guy, Philip, um, is called by the Holy Spirit and says, now I want you to go, uh, to get up and, and go on this road to Gaza, which happens to be, by the way, and this is important, the busiest road imaginable because it connects all commercial traffic between North Africa, the Middle East, and Southern Europe. I mean, imagine geographically that that sort of area. It's a busy area. It's I-95 on steroids. It's just a crazy kind kind of place. And the Holy Spirit says to Philip, that's where I want you to go. It's a busy place. And Philip doesn't even know why he's asked to go, but he goes. He follows in the tradition of Abraham and Ruth and, and, and Moses and, and Mary and Joseph and Peter and Andrew and Paul and all so many others who have been invited to go, and they go to a rather unknown places. And it strikes me that there's something about being a disciple, isn't there, that invites us to take the risk of going to unknown places. I know that feels scary for some. It's exciting for others, but it's scary for, for some. But one thing I've learned specifically about this younger generation is, is that they are eager for that kind of adventure. It's exciting, really, for them. Uh, they're not afraid of unknown places, it seems. And so, uh, what strikes me is, as uh, a part of the church is, is, is that as we rethink what it looks like to be the church, Maybe it's important for us to embrace Philip's drive for adventure, daring to reach far beyond the four walls of this place and daring to go wherever the Holy Spirit might call us, right? The adventure of the unknown. 
Verse 27. Let's keep on going. So in verse 27, we read that while along the road, Philip sees this chariot who is uh, off, I think, off on the side of the road. Doesn't say that specifically, but let's just say it is. And in it is this, this man. He doesn't know that he's an Ethiopian eunuch yet, I don't imagine. Who knows? Uh, I doubt he has that sort of title on the chariot itself, but we don't, we don't know. Nevertheless, that's who's inside the chariot. And this man is returning from Jerusalem. That's what's important. He's part of the queen's inner circle, which means he's a man of of high esteem. He's in charge, in fact, of the treasury, and not terribly uncommon in those days. And this one, it gets a little bit sort of awkward. Um, He was a eunuch. He was castrated. Why? Because this was common practice in those days, so that uh, uh, someone would be utterly, the thinking goes, utterly faithful and trustworthy to uh, members usually of the royal family, in particular female members of the royal family, so that they could make sure that those who are surrounding them are utterly faithful to who they are. And so, um, oftentimes, those who would serve the women of the royal families um, were, were eunuchs. This man was such a man. He, uh, he served the queen of Ethiopia and was in charge of her treasury. He was entirely trustworthy and offered his full allegiance to the queen. There are a few other things that we can surmise about this particular man. One is, he's a curious guy. How do we know? Well, he's reading. He's reading Scripture. He's reading Isaiah. And, and, uh, and that must strike us as a bit odd. I'm not sure that we can conclude that he's Jewish, because I believe the text would have told us if he was Jewish. It just tells me that, that he's a, a curious person, right? He's a learner. He's eager to explore. He's eager to grow. Unfortunately, though, his curiosity led him to Jerusalem with the hopes of worshiping in the temple, but little did he know that eunuchs normally were not allowed to worship in the temple so he was likely asked to leave, or, or at the very least, he learned very quickly that he was not welcome. You know, friends, and I'm sure you know what I'm getting ready to say. As we rethink church, I hope that we will always remember that hospitality is never an option. It's an assumption for God's faithful people, for God's church. As Jesus welcomed the stranger, the outcast, the lost, the forsaken, so must we always with open arms because there are a lot of curious folks out there who, who would love to feel a strong sense of belonging, of identity and purpose that the church can provide, but far too many have not been welcomed in or for whatever reason in their life have felt hurt or neglected or excluded from the life of the church. So, the Spirit tells Philip to go to this man. That's who, that's who he is, right? Someone who has been rejected and, and excluded for whatever reason. A man he does not know. And notice what Philip does. He enters into this man's space, his safe space. He's not in his chariot yet. He just sort of approaches this man and sort of uh, takes a look at what he's doing. He's engaged in studying Scripture. And, and so he asks a very gentle question. He doesn't intervene. Um, he, he doesn't bully himself into the scene. He doesn't arrogantly throw at him a a track or a DVD or a Bible or whatever else, Uh, but instead he simply says, so do you understand what what you're reading? He asks it. It's a gentle conversation starter, but, but just enough for this man from Ethiopia to see that Philip 
cares deeply. And so, he invites him to his chariot. And, and that, I think, is the best part of the story. Sort of tuck that away for a moment because we'll address it a little bit later. Uh, but, but it's interesting, isn't it? In that short amount of time, Philip earned the trust of this man. Oh, friends, I long for the church to earn the trust of this world again. We will, but it will take time, and it will take a whole new way of thinking. But once on board, back to the chariot, Philip was able to share with this man all about the love, grace, mercy, the sacrifice of Jesus, not with hubris but with humility, not with judgment with, but compassion. Oh my goodness, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall of that chariot. I wish I could have heard the kind of energy with which um, Philip spoke. I would have loved to have heard the stories of Jesus' love that He told, the ways in which He, he just brought this, this man from Ethiopia into the story, into the conversation in such a way then that all of a sudden, and this man from Ethiopia finally says, what is keeping me from becoming, from belonging a, a, a part of this kind of Jesus movement of being baptized? But you know, as I dive a little deeper into that question, and I could be wrong, but it strikes me that that's a loaded question because it could be coming from simply the curious and now, now excited mouth of this man who is eager to be baptized. But it also could be that this man, who, by the way, is just returning from Jerusalem, where he was rejected at the temple, he is a man who may have said something like, yeah, <laughs> all this sounds good and everything, but I mean, surely there's something. Surely there's something that's going to keep me from being baptized. I mean, look, I'm the eunuch from Ethiopia, remember? You know, um, I think there are a lot of folks who, uh, who feel like a eunuch from Ethiopia. <laughs> they feel for whatever reason they have been left out or marginalized. They feel they have been left, left by the side of the road. And for whatever reason, have not felt the warmth, the embrace of, of community, maybe any community, but specifically the community of the church. And so, this question is a question of longing. What is keeping me from being baptized? Well, but then, so Philip, and I do think it's Philip, stopped the chariot next to a pool of water and says, nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. Nothing should and nothing will prevent you from being baptized today. And so it was uh, one of, if not the first, conversion story of, of, this, of this post-resurrection church, this young church. It started with Philip's willingness to listen to the Holy Spirit and then to graciously walk alongside this man from Ethiopia. But there's something else that I believe is worth mentioning. You see, it sounds as though, right, as we hear it, that it starts with Philip. But maybe not. Well, in fact, not at all. Because sure enough, I mean, the Holy Spirit knew this man from Ethiopia long before this story unfolds, long before this man from Ethiopia knew the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Spirit was carefully preparing His heart for that very moment, right that moment when someone might come along. 
I mean, that's true. Uh, with, for, with those you are being called alongside, your friends, your family members, those who, for whatever reason, have stepped away from Christian community or the church. It, it's true of those who maybe in a formal relationship you have been called to mentor. Did you notice? Uh, they might not know it, but, 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 um, but the Holy Spirit is working within them already. The Holy Spirit is already working in all the four corners of the earth in places that we don't even imagine. The Spirit is preparing the soil ready for that soil then with seeds planted for growth to occur, growth that will provide abundance for, for this world, a fruitful witness. Your witness is what it ne- is needed. But when? How do we know when the time is right? Well, verse 29, the Spirit says, go over to this chariot and join it. The point is this, the Spirit will tell you when the time is right. I mean, come on, you've felt those gentle nudges, right? You have. I know you have. You've heard the whisper in your ear. You've stayed awake at night, late at night, thinking about, maybe even wondering about that person, that tragedy, that cry for help. Go, the Spirit is telling you through those nudges, through those long um, sleepless nights. Go to that chariot and join it, the Spirit is saying to you. Don't be afraid. Don't second guess your ability because you know, don't you, that, that, that God carefully created you to be someone who is fully capable of doing amazing things, of bearing much fruit for the sake of this world. God is begging you to take advantage of that opportunity. You and your witness, after all, might well be the missing link to this newest member of the team, you. It doesn't matter who you are, no matter how young or how old you might be, whether, whether you are new in this journey or you've been on this journey for a long time, you and your witness just may well be the missing link to this newest member of the team. There's a great story told by Jimmy Durante, an entertainer of the past, long ago. But nevertheless, Jimmy Durante was asked to be part of a show for World War II veterans. He told them that his schedule was really tight and he was really busy and he could only afford a few minutes, but he wanted to go. Um, but they, they needed to understand that he could only stand up for a monologue, quick monologue for a few minutes and, and then leave for his next appointment. They said, perfectly fine. But oddly enough, when Jimmy got on stage, something interesting happened. He went on through the short monologue, and then he stayed. The applause grew louder, and he kept staying, and pretty soon he had been there 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe longer. Finally, he took a last bow, and he left the stage, and when someone uh, off stage said to him, Mr. Durante, I thought you uh, had to go after a few minutes. What happened? And, and Jimmy smiled and asked the man to look out into the front row of guests. That's why I stayed, he said. As the man looked out, he saw two men in the front row, each of whom had lost an arm in the war. One had lost his right arm, and one had lost his left arm, but together they were able to clap, (laughs) and that's exactly what they were doing, joyfully, cheerfully. Friends, let's be bound and determined to work together as a team, a team in which all of God's children are a part. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank You so much for Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You for the Word that comes to us and fills us with life and light 
a word that comes to us likewise in human form to, to reveal to us, to show, to show us what love looks like for His great sacrifice, for His acts of mercy, we give You thanks. Lord, we, we do commend to You this world, and we know that there are so many folks in this world curious to, to know more about You or at the very least, are eager to be drawn into this community of love and grace. Lord, I pray for every member who is in this room now or those who may be watching online that, that you would provide for us, share with us, reveal to us those opportunities where we might be invited to join someone in their chariot. And when invited, Lord, that we would have the courage to go to faithfully proclaim the gospel. We confess that we're nervous, so fill us with boldness. We confess that we're hesitant, so fill us with eagerness. Most importantly, love, Lord, fill us with your great love that we know you are eager for us to share for the sake of the world through Jesus Christ. Amen.